The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. The brand began in a tiny sawmill in Gmund, Austria. Although the man from North Carolina couldn't have imagined the passion until he experienced it. Innovation, quality, performance, loyalty. If there's a steward for the Porsche brand, an individual who personifies car culture and the pursuit for the preservation of that mystic quality, it's Bob Ingram. Bob Ingram is Porsche. Car lover Jerry Seinfeld is a friend, as is Ralph Lauren and Rick Hendrick, and the Porsche family themselves. As the manufacturer website says, there are places where magic happens, places that carry a piece of the past within them, and places that seem like a futuristic promise. Ingram's collection is all of the above. From the time I was 10 or less, I loved cars, and I would try to identify a car by the sound and I got to be reasonably good at it. We're extremely proud, but also uh, humble to have the privilege of being caretakers of these cars. A tour through his Porsche possessions, more than 80 at last count, is like a journey through time. Even the executives in Stuttgart call his collection a breathtaking review of automotive design history. Starting with one of the first vehicles ever produced in that sawmill, through the decades all the way to the latest generations, gasoline-powered, and electric. Bob Ingram has built it all, from the first purchase in the 1990s to the latest acquisitions, and rebuilding the collection after a drastic 2019 fire destroyed part of the collection in what he describes as the saddest day of his family's life. We got a big gas explosion. Uh, it's knocked down a lot of this building. We could see that our building was intact, but the building next to ours was literally just demolished. The fire leaped over and destroyed the roof, put a big hole in it, and that's what caused the ultimate damage. We had about half of our collection in the building. It was a day, obviously, we as a family will never forget. Bob Ingram began his career in the pharmaceutical industry as a professional sales representative, advancing and earning increasing responsibility to ultimately becoming CEO and chairman of Glaxo Welcome. He co-led the merger and integration that formed GlaxoSmithKline, the world's second largest pharmaceutical company. But his passion is Porsche. Throughout it all, Bob Ingram is a broker to the car lovers of the world. They flock from everywhere to experience his collection, use his family's world-renowned restoration service, Road Scholars, and experience the thrill of the track experience in Virginia, where he and his family help organize events. His passions are beyond rare. A 1952 356 America Roadster, only 16 were made, and 11 now exist. A non-street legal track car, the 935. The newest models and the oldest ones, the 1950 Porsche Gemund Coupe. But his collection is unlike others. It's a living thing. All cars are driven, even the race cars. And their goal is even more broad. They share cars with others. They share the culture they cultivate the passion. Known globally, respected in every corner of the auto collector universe, and a Porsche brand ambassador unlike any other. He's my guest today. I'm Bob Ingram, and I'm privileged to be with Jason Stein today on Cars and Culture. Bob, what a pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure for me, Jason, to be on your show, and a privilege. Thank you. As a fellow Porsche owner, uh, it is my privilege, although I only have one, and it happens to be about 16 years old, the same age as my son. But you know, you give everybody out there hope that you can go from one to more than one. <laughs> well, Jason, uh, I often say it's a hobby, in our case, turned into a sickness. But uh, uh, I think it's wonderful that, like, like myself, you and your son enjoy the Porsche experience together. Uh, that's been the most rewarding thing in this whole journey for me personally, is that we are able to do it as a family. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into Porsche, 
But I okay. want to start with the story of a gentleman who's been on this program before and who you have a close connection with. And that is your fellow North Carolina uh, resident, Rick Hendrick. Tell me about Rick Hendrick and your relationship and actually how that ties back to Portia. Well, I'd be happy to, Jason. And uh, Rick uh, is uh, a treasured friend. And as you know, one of the most kind and genuine people one would ever know. For someone who's built a phenomenal business empire uh, and also a outstanding racing uh, empire, if you will, he's genuinely one of the most modest, uh, uh, down-to-earth people you'll ever meet. And Rick and I have known each other for, oh gosh, 25 years. And uh, I actually, uh, and we can come back to this, uh, uh, order my new Porsches through his dealership in Durham, North Carolina, Porsche of South Point. But uh, we uh, had an unusual, I guess, uh, experience together. Uh, I was a member of the Lowe's board in the late 90s. And at that point in time, uh, Lowe's did have a uh, sponsorship uh, with Rick. Uh, uh, we were, uh, I think our driver was Mike Skinner at the time. And we weren't in enjoying the success that our primary competitor Home Depot was in NASCAR with Tony Stewart and Greg Zipidelli as the crew chief. Crew chief. Uh, so uh, as we were coming up to the, the time to renew our contract, uh, our CEO, Bob Tillman, who was a phenomenal CEO and who really built Lowe's into the, uh, if you will, tremendous business success it is today. And along with Home Depot, obviously, the two primary home improvement uh, chains in North America. Uh, Bob just felt that because we weren't having the success on the track that Home Depot was enjoying, that we probably wouldn't renew the contract with Rick. So we went out to Rick's shop that day to talk with him about this and deliver, if you will, that message. And knowing Rick as you do, Jason, he was the consummate gentleman, welcomed us, and preempted us really in saying that he, they were disappointed, meaning Hendrick Motorsports, then their performance. And he, he would quite understand if we had reached a decision not to continue the, uh, uh, the partnership. But ironically, he said, uh, Ricky, God rest his soul, his son and Jeff Gordon had found this young man that they were going to put in the 48 car uh, and that he was there that day. And would we by, by chance just be interested in meeting him? So and in through the door walks. In, Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, we had a delightful visit with, with Jimmy. And I'll never forget Bob, you know, asking Jimmy basically one question, and that is, can you win? And, of course, Jimmy, again, consummate gentleman that he is, uh, said, well, he couldn't guarantee that at that point, but that he knew that given the quality of the equipment and the team support that he would get as part of Hendrick Motorsports, that he had a good chance to win. And probably if he didn't win, uh, Mr. Hendrick would replace him. Well, as you, <laughs> as you and your listeners know, uh, that became, I believe, the longest running single sponsorship with the same driver and same crew chief, Chad Knauss, in the history of NASCAR and obviously uh, produced six, uh, six championships. So uh, it was, uh, it, it was just another case where Rick Hendrick uh, is not only a great friend, but uh, does business deals. And you'll, as you interviewed Rick, he, he, he enjoys doing deals, but like any real successful business leader, he does deals that are win-win deals. And this was clearly a win for Lowe's and a win for Hendrick Motorsports. Do you ever think about how close you were to being on the other end of that story? Well, <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, Jason, that success has a thousand fathers and failures an orphan. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I, I certainly don't take any credit for that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, had we not renewed, who knows who would have picked up that sponsorship? And would they have stayed with it for 16 years? You just don't know. But I think, you know, it, it was, again, a win-win because not only was Jimmy tremendously successful, six-time champion, but as you know from interviewing him, 
he's a great ambassador for motorsports, for NASCAR, for Hendrick, and for Lowe's. Whenever uh, we would have a new Lowe's store opening, uh, depending on Jimmy's schedule, he would make himself available for that opening. He would sign autographs. He would meet, you know, not only the employees in the store, but customers and the demographics of the NASCAR crowd and both the Lowe's customers as well as Home Depot customers, there's a very strong overlap. So it was uh, in every sense, a win-win uh, agreement. 10 minutes of small talk with you and Mr. Tillman <laughs> turned into yeah. Yeah, racing history. I it absolutely did. Absolutely did. I mentioned the CEO was pretty. Ha I, I would imagine the CEO was pretty happy too after that. He was, and 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 again, you know, it, it, like every sponsor, and I've I've been part of uh, Formula One sponsorship deals. Uh, uh, you you want to be on a car that's running near the front because that's where the TV cameras tend to focus, uh, and uh, it it can help you justify the investment you make in sponsoring motorsports. Bob, you've been, you've had the good fortune of having some amazing relationships that are connected through not only racing, but automotive in general. And you just referenced one of them, Jackie Stewart. You were part of Jackie Stewart's team. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, I had the privilege among many, uh, Jason, of uh, being the chief executive for Glaxo, Glaxo Welcome, now GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, we're a British-based global pharmaceutical company. And uh, as you well know, Jackie's a Scotsman and uh, uh, obviously uh, multiple world champion in his own racing career. And he formed Stewart uh, form, uh, Formula One team in the early 2000s. And uh, obviously, like every team, always on the lookout for sponsorship. And Jackie and I had met uh, through some mutual friends. And in fact, I was honored that Jackie sponsored me for membership in the uh, Royal Automobile Club in London. Uh, and through that friendship, uh, we agreed that Glaxo would join his primary sponsor, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, HSBC, uh, in Jackie's uh, Formula One uh, uh, new team, which is later became Ford, Jaguar, and I guess today I'm trying to think who, who, whose team that is. I've, I've kind of lost track of that progression, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a long time admirer of Jackie's personally. Jack, uh, I know his son, Paul and his grandson, Dylan, who graduated from Duke and Jackie came over for Dylan's graduation and spent time with us. And uh, I was Jackie's guest uh, three or four years ago at Goodwood. And we had a phenomenal mm -hmm. time. He's just, uh, again, a, a great ambassador for motorsports uh, and, a, and a treasured friend like Rick. An ultimate gentleman. Ultimate Absolutely. Gentleman. Absolutely. So let's talk about Porsche because that leads you to uh, interactions with several um, prominent folks who we'll talk about in a little bit. But I want to reference the Porsche website in and of itself in a, in a headline from, from just this past March, Ties That Bind. Two generations, one passion. The Ingram family's Porsche collection in North Carolina is magnificent for many reasons, they wrote, not least for how it has been rebuilt following a heartbreaking calamity. And we're going to get to the calamity as well later. But when we talk about cars and culture, in my mind, it kind of starts and ends with the Ingram family because through your connection with Porsche and your, um, your amazing collection, You've created a culture around this. And we already know that Porsche has its own culture. And you've sure seen that. that firsthand. And, and what they wrote on the Porsche site is there are places where magic happens, places that carry a piece of the past. And that's what you've created with your collection. You have to be just amazed at when you look around at what you have now, Bob. Well, Jason, thank you. Uh, we're, we're humbled. Uh, we view ourselves not as collectors, but rather as caretakers. Uh, what we're trying to do is to preserve history. Uh, our collection, which ranges from the earliest Porsches made actually in Gmund, Austria, uh, beginning in 1948, all the way up through the latest models. Uh, you know, when I think of Porsche as a brand, I don't know that there are any if, or very few brands that you, that you, as you referenced, have such a strong, loyal following as a customer base. And when you think about the, the shape that people identify with Porsche, 
it began in 1948 with those little Gamun coops. Mm -hmm. And even all the way now, 70 plus years later, uh, when you see the latest 911, the 992 in this case, that same shape is still present. It's grown in size, but the shape is unmistakable. And through their constant commitment to engineering excellence, uh, and Porsche has built their brand, as you and your listeners know, Jason, on particularly success in endurance racing, Uh, 24-hour Le Mans, certainly 24 hours of Daytona, let alone Sebring and and other races. Uh, They may not always be on the pole at the start, but they do well in terms of their reliability as well as their speed. And, uh, you know, today, uh, I believe, and I don't know the exact data on this, Jason, but Porsche not only has as loyal a following as any, but I believe is probably one of the most profitable car companies still Mm -hmm. in existence. And now obviously a key part of the Volkswagen group. And a brand promise that most, most brands in cars or non-cars would just die for. Yes. Customer loyalty, passion, innovation, obsession to quality. Yep. You mentioned Gmund, Austria. Have you Mm -hmm. been to Gmund? I have. And it's amazing. uh, If you haven't been there, A, it's a very small town uh, in Austria at the base of the Alps. And uh, the the shed, as I'll call it, uh, where Porsche first started building cars. Sawmill, right? uh, Sawmill. The old the old sawmill is minuscule. I mean, uh, you you know, I don't know what the square footage would be, but it's a, a very small building. And to think of the fact that post the war, uh, Dr. Porsche, uh, with a handful of employees that had started with him back in Stuttgart, uh, went to this little town. Uh, they couldn't get steel, so they started with aluminum, as you know. And beginning in 48 and running over the next basic two years, they built 52 aluminum coupes. And uh, they're called the Gamun Coupes. And they built a, a few cabriolets as well. And then basically in late 1950, they moved back to Zuffenhausen, a suburb of Stuttgart. But it all started in that little sawmill in this small town in Austria. Incredible story. And you're, what you were referencing, the, the, the pride that goes into ownership around these yes. vehicles that is handed down from generation to generation. And I want to go back to what you just mentioned a moment ago. It is in the spirit of those former owners and their pride and enthusiasm that you take it to the next level, the next generation. You want to preserve those cars for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jason. And as we have built our collection, and I owe a great deal of credit to our youngest son, Cam, who is the owner of Road Scholars. Uh, Cam was a art major, metal sculptor in college. Uh, he inherited that talent from his mother, uh, but he also got the car gene from me. So with a, with a graduate degree, he apprenticed for three years in a restoration shop before starting his own business. And it's been Cam and his knowledge that have helped us as a family uh, build a collection. But as we have built that collection, uh, we have been interviewed by the previous owners, as you would expect. Uh, these cars become like children to many of us. And as you pass them on, you wanna be uh, sure and confident that the person or uh, people that you're passing that treasured, if you will, car onto is going to treat the car as well, if not better than you did. And uh, you, you and I know, and your listeners I'm sure know that oftentimes People buy cars thinking that they can flip them or resell them and make a profit. And that that's certainly been true in many cases for classic cars and for Porsche particularly. But we've never done that. Uh, when friends ask me what Porsche they should buy as an investment, my response, Jason, is always, well, I've never bought a car as an investment. I bought the cars I loved. I've tried to buy the best examples we could find. And in doing that, to your point, uh, people who have those caliber of cars, uh, while, I, while I was interested in examining the car, they were equally, if not more, interested in examining me. 
and making sure that I was I was the type of person and we were the type of family that they would want that car to be passed on and taken care of. And for that reason, we we take great pride and and great responsibility in uh, preserving these cars. It's the same philosophy that uh, another show guest here on Cars and Culture, Jay Leno, a mutual yes. friend of ours. He yes. has the same philosophy. He has the same philosophy yep. as he approaches his um, the folks who want to sell cars and 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 those who want who want to sell the cars to him. Yep. Um, in equal parts of the transaction, what he's acquiring and also what they're giving up. Exactly. And um, and and Jay lives through the same philosophy. Cam, your son once said, the most exciting thing is the stories behind the cars. Through the collection that you have, your family becomes part of contemporary history of the cars and the people. What a great legacy to be able to hang on to. Well, it is. And, and I'm, I'm extremely proud of all three of our sons. Uh, Cam has uh, built a, a, a very nice small business. I believe he's up to 27 or 28 employees now. Uh, he's uh, won Pebble Beach multiple times several times with some of our cars. Uh, but it's always as a father, and you know this, Jason, and all of us who have the privilege of being fathers know that it's great to see your sons or daughters do something they really enjoy. Uh, and uh, that's certainly the case with Cam uh, and Road Scholars. He's, uh, he's turned a, a passion into a nice little business. Tell me a little bit more about Road Scholars. Well, uh, Cam co-founded the business, I guess, around 2003 or four, uh, because uh, maybe actually yeah, 2003, I believe. And uh, uh, he started after working in a restoration shop and uh, focused on both restoration, sales and service. And what I think really put road scholars on the map was i believe it was 2007 or 8 maybe uh, i should know that year when uh, rolf springer rolf uh, was the person at porsche who started what is now the exclusive department then called the special wishes department and rolf was responsible for the personal collections of both hans peter porsche and his brother wolfgang and uh, Cam had bought a collection out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, uh, of about 20 cars, but they bought the collection to get this one car. They were all Porsches, but the one car that Cam really wanted was a Gamun Coupe. And uh, to make a long story much shorter, after acquiring the collection, including the Gamun Coupe, uh, they sold the Gamun Coupe to uh, Hans Peter Porsche through Rolf Springer. And Rolf, when he came to inspect the car, uh, made the decision to recommend purchase. But then after talking with Hans Peter about the car, uh, they said they wanted Cam to restore the car. And then Rolf paused and I was there that day. And he said, we would like to have it accepted at Pebble Beach. And then he paused again and he said, and we would like to win. <laughs> no pressure not a small feat <laughs> and, and as you and i know uh, pebble beach is by invitation so there was no guarantee you know they could be invited but they were and uh fortuitously uh, they won their class and that really was a wonderful if you will uh foundation for road scholars to build their brand and uh, for me the most memorable day of that whole experience was we trailered that little Gamoon Coupe all the way from Durham, North Carolina to Monterey in a one-car trailer. We pulled into the lot there at Pebble Beach, which I know you and many of your listeners have seen, and you have all these 18-wheelers, and here we came in with this little one-car trailer, and the next day after we got there, Rolf brought Wolfgang uh, Porsche, Hans Peter's brother. Hans Peter wasn't able to travel at that point. He now is. And uh, Wolfgang wanted to see this car. So we pulled the car out from the little trailer and Rolf and Wolfgang Porsche inspected the car, speaking in German, for about 45 minutes. <laughs> and at the end of that, Wolfgang Porsche walked over to our son, Cam, stuck out his hand and said, better than we do at the factory. 
And it was a very, emo very emotional moment for us as a family. And after that, everything changed. Uh, business more than doubled. Uh, yep. The shop quickly became so busy that it, it was described as an all-consuming marriage, I believe. <laughs> 6,000 square feet of a service center. Um, yeah. You've got, um, there are some estimates of as much as $20 million in stock across almost two dozen cars at any one time. Some, some amazing vehicles and some amazing clientele. Ralph Lauren is a valued right. client. Right. Jerry Seinfeld is yep. in near constant communication. Yeah, yep. it, it is. It is remarkable. I, pin, I pinch myself, Jason, when I walk into Cam's shop, and uh, at, on any given day, there may be one or more 550 Spiders, one or more 904s, one or more uh, RSKs, uh, and you and I, and most people listening to this show, know that these are rare cars, uh, but they're there to be either restored and/or serviced. And uh, it's just a reminder, again, of how fortunate uh, we are as a family are, and particularly Cam and his team are, to be trusted with the care and the rebirth of some of these uh, important uh, pieces of history. So let's go back to Gamund and humble beginnings in Austria and how Porsche started. And let's now complete the circle with Bob Ingram, who comes from Charleston, a small city in rural Illinois. You describe humble circumstances. Uh, you, you earned your, your first money uh, next door to the schoolhouse in the corner shop run by your single mother. Yep. And you once said you saved it all up to buy the coolest ride in town when you finally got your license. So I know you grew up a Chevy guy originally. That's so what right. was the vehicle? Well, uh, all of that's accurate. Uh, my mother raised me as a single parent in a small town. And uh, uh, she uh, ran the businesses that her father, my grandfather, started. The town was... Uh, county seat in the business district, as you would appreciate, Jason, was the square around the courthouse. Mm -hmm. And we had a department store and a five and 10 cent store and a, a couple other stores. And after school, I would walk literally a block to, to, the, to the stores. And I would, uh, I would end up sweeping the floors, uh, making, ch she taught me how to make change and how, what I learned most was how to treat people, uh, both customers and employees. And so she also taught me to save my money. And so uh, I started when I was six years old. So when I turned 16, I had saved enough money that I could order a new Chevrolet. Wow. Uh, and in 1957, I ordered a new Chevrolet Bel Air. And of course, wow. I had to have a 283 with fuel injection. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she had to sign for me. But uh, I, I really thought I was the king of the root beer stand for a while. And, well, you would have been at 16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it, it was a great town to grow up in. Uh, you know, uh, I still know by name, all of my teachers, uh, they were all women. Of course, in those days, teaching was probably as good a job as women could get in a small town. That's changed. Uh, and they were all friends of my mother's, Jason. So if I did something at school that wasn't up to her expectations she knew about it before i got home <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh but from there i i i uh, i worked my way through undergraduate school uh with several jobs including working in my mother's store and i also took on a part-time job keeping books for the local chevrolet dealer who was a friend of my mother's and from whom i bought that first chevrolet and it taught me a little bit about the uh, if you will back into the car business and I thought someday if I could just be fortunate enough to have a Corvette, uh, I would be really fortunate. And it, uh, it wasn't until 1971 when uh, we went to visit for Thanksgiving a mentor of mine uh, who was instrumental in uh, my career as a, in the pharmaceutical field. And he had just taken delivery of a brand new 1971 911S. And it was the first time I had ever ridden in a Porsche. Uh, and at some point after riding in it, he let me drive it. And, uh, and I came world home, changed. <laughs> I world changed. I came home that day and said to my wife, Jeannie, someday I'm going to own a Porsche. And we didn't buy our first one until 1992. So, you know, 20, 20 years later. Uh, when you're growing up in Illinois, a foreign car was a Studebaker, right? <laughs> it sure was. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't a big enough town, uh, Jason. We had a Chevy dealer. We had a Pontiac dealer. 
we had a uh we didn't have an Olds or Cadillac. We weren't big enough. I believe we did. Yeah, we had a Buick dealer. And of course, we had a Ford dealer who also sold Mercury's, but wasn't big enough to sell Lincoln's. And we had a Plymouth dealer that also sold Dodges and I believe DeSoto's, but we weren't big enough to have a Chrysler. So it was a small town. And uh, yeah, Studebaker was a foreign object when we when on the rare occasion <laughs> we'd see one. Do you ever think about that that ride in 1971? And you know, if you, I know that you see yourself and your family as stewards of the Porsche name, and that, that's wonderful for you and for Porsche, but do you think that same passion would have been summoned had your friend who introduced you to the brand instead have owned a Ferrari? That's a great question. I've never thought about that, Jason. Uh, I admire Ferrari, and we've, we've, we've owned a couple, uh, and uh, I admire the styling. Uh, and, uh, and they're certainly their racing uh, history and culture. Um, perhaps uh, it's interesting. Uh, people often ask me, what's the difference in a portion of Ferrari? And I, I, with good humor, say, well, they reflect the countries from which they're built. The, the Ferrari is Italian. It's beautiful, stylish. It gets a lot of attention and it works once in a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that the new Ferraris, as you know, are not only beautiful, stylish, and fast, but they're reliable. Whereas Porsche, again, to my earlier comment, uh, build its reputation on reliability. And they're well-engineered. Uh, they're well-built. Uh, they aren't as uh, stylish, although I think it's interesting to see. I, I think of the three supercars that both companies have built, beginning in 88 with the 959 and the F40. Uh, fast forward to 2004, the Carrera GT and the Enzo. And then more recently, the 2014 period when the 918 Spider and the LaFerrari. And uh, as, uh, particularly with the, with the uh, Carrera GT and Enzo and the 918 and the LaFerrari, these are, for Porsche particularly, mm. uh, real expansions in style. Uh, but... Uh, I admire both brands, uh, Jason, and I, I, I would, I would guess if that if I had, if he'd had a Ferrari, I wouldn't have as many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Porsche collector Bob Ingram. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now back to my interview with world-renowned Porsche collector, Bob Ingram. I want to go back to something uh, that Leon Mandel once said. Of course, his long journalistic career included right. stints at Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Competition Press, Auto Week. But I'm guessing this, this would apply to you. Uh, he, he said at the first Rensport reunion, he, he gave a speech, and he said... When he was a college student in the early 1950s, he received a modest inheritance. And he spent it all on a Porsche 356. <laughs> and he said, if I had invested it in IBM or something like that, I would have certainly been wealthy within a decade. Instead, I bought a Porsche and I got life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing your first purchase, you can relate to Leon's words. I, I can. Jason and and uh, you know we 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 we've been so fortunate as a family, and one of the things we do in partnership with with Rick Hendricks' organization, uh, with the local Porsche dealership, uh, they give people who are buying, uh, particularly their first Porsche, the op the option of either taking delivery at the dealership, or taking delivery at our collection mm -hmm. where they can see the history of the brand. And it, it is, it is a special occasion. And it was for me when we bought our first Porsche. Uh, and, uh, 
again, it speaks to the loyalty and the passion that Porsche has built with their customer base. And uh, uh, it, it's been a great, it's been a great journey for us. And uh, I, I, I said to my wife and our sons, uh, who I hope obviously will all outlive me, uh, that if they do sell these cars, consistent with our conversation, to make sure they go to people who care about the cars uh, and who will take on that, again, stewardship of preserving these cars. Colin Powell once said, a dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes nope. sweat, determination, and hard work. Yep. So how did you come to sh want to share this sweat, determination, and hard work with the Porsche community? Good question again, Jason. Uh, you and I know people who have great collections and, and they enjoy them, but seldom do very many people really get to see the cars. Uh, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But we feel an obligation, if you will, to share the cars, uh, not just to invite people to come see them in our space, but to put them on the road. Uh, cars are, in, and again, I've spent my career in pharmaceuticals, they're not unlike our bodies. If we just let them sit, uh, it's generally not good for them. Uh, they need to keep their fluids running just like we need to keep our circulation going. So uh, we, with the help of Cam's team, I, we couldn't do it if it weren't for Cam and his team. Uh, we start every car in our collection at least once a week, and we run them all on the road, depending on weather, at least once or twice every month. Uh, and we try to take them. We've been participants in a lot of contours, but we now, uh, our middle son, Rory, uh, operates a, a, a business called uh, the Ingram Driving Experience. Uh, we live very close to Virginia International Raceway, VIR. And as you may know, it's a beautiful road course, mm -hmm. 2.3 miles, changing topography, a number of interesting turns. Uh, and we rent the course uh, 12 to 18 days a year. And uh, Rory sells memberships and uh, we take our cars. In fact, uh, uh, in early November, Cam and Rory are jointly doing a thing called the 4Cam Jam. And it's an invitation for 4Cam Porsche owners to bring their cars. And these are, as you know, 4Cams were built mainly in the 50s and 60s. Yep. Uh, and I think we now have over 30 of these cars coming. Uh, Miles Collier, the Revs Institute is bringing some cars. Uh, a number of other uh, customers and friends are bringing their cars to exercise. And it's just a thrill for me, not just to see our cars being used that way, but to see these rolling pieces of history in on the track. We're not out there rubbing fenders, but we are exercising the cars. Yeah, you're making them a living thing. And exactly. You do exactly. that. The cars are driven regularly, as you yep. say. And you also use the collection as a setting for charity events exactly. uh, in North Carolina. You use your cars when you can. How do you feel about those whose collections are, well, let's just call them trailer queens or, <laughs> or revered as mere artwork? Well, it's their prerogative. Uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think you know, uh, hopefully, even if they don't use their cars often, uh, they do take them to, say, Concours events so other people can see uh, these, what I call, rolling sculptures. Uh, and and I, I admire all cars. Uh, the pre-war cars, to me, are, are rolling sculptures. Uh, and But it's encouraging. I, to me, we, we, every Saturday, go to the little local Cars and Coffee. And to see that Cars and Coffee culture uh, Jason uh, pervade virtually every little town in America today. I mean, uh, I say that uh, every place we go, there's you don't have to go very far to find a cars and coffee event on a Saturday. And I get just as much kick out of uh, seeing a, a Mazda Miata, whose owner's proud of it, as I do a Porsche or a Ferrari. And uh, for me, I, I always try to look for a young person. Uh, oftentimes, you know, pre-teenager uh, and with generally their father or mother or both. And if they're, if they're interested in the car, I not only am happy to share the car with them and tell them about it, but let them sit in the car, let them start the car uh, because somebody did that for me. Yeah. And uh, 
as you and I know, you create you, you create somebody may take this on as a, as a passion and hobby for the rest of their life. And yeah, well uh, said. I, think, uh, I, I just think that we, we don't rank and rate our friends. We're lucky to have the ones we have, but I would say the best part of the journey, in addition to doing this as a family has been the friends we've made through these cars. Uh, really a nice community. Worldwide. A lot of, yep. Yep. And, Speaking of worldwide, Porsche at one point said that even the executives in Stuttgart themselves called the Ingram collection a, quote, breathtaking review of automotive design history. And we just passed the two-year mark, two-and-a-half-year mark of when that history mm. really um, suffered a, an, an enormous, um, I would say, uh, breathtaking uh, incident. Tell me about the day in April of 2019 when the building that you housed most of this collection exploded. It was a day we won't forget, uh, Jason. Uh, as you said, uh, my wife, Jeannie, had taken what was, ironically, Jason, an old Studebaker dealership yeah. uh, in downtown Durham in the historic tobacco district uh it was a 1928 studebaker exactly a a, a kind of a bow arts designed old facility when we leased the building originally it was rats and pigeons but uh my wife uh, turned it into as some people described it a ralph lauren living room with a lot of cars in it (laughs) and we we uh we were privileged to host over the years many, many, many charity events. In fact, uh, uh, our accountant uh, told us at the time that the building uh, was destroyed that we had raised over a million four hundred thousand dollars for various charities over the years, uh, and we're proud of that. But the day of the explosion, my wife and I were in our car, drive, getting ready to leave Durham to drive up to the. Blue Ridge Mountains, when Rory's assistant uh, called us, obviously very hysterical, saying there's been an explosion. And what had happened was the building adjacent to our building uh, housed, among other things, a coffee shop. And they were putting in an internet line to that coffee shop when they mistakenly, uh, the, the, uh, as they were digging for the internet line, struck a gas line and created this gas leak. And Rory's assistant called in because she could smell the gas. Well, she was the fifth or sixth call they got. So the fire department had arrived and fortunately evacuated uh, that building where the coffee shop was. Uh, And there was still no explosion. But then sadly, the owner of the coffee shop persuaded a fireman to let him go back into the coffee shop to get something. And when he opened just the door, just that friction of the door uh, caused the explosion. And it, it totally destroyed that building almost instantaneously. And the flames leaped over and uh, basically destroyed the roof of our building. And when the roof collapsed, obviously, uh, given the, the collapse and the debris, let alone the, the water that the fire department rightfully put on the building, it, caught, it basically uh, caused our building to be a total loss. And we did have about half of our collection in there. Uh, uh, and we, got, uh, we were able to get the cars out the next day. And I would say of the 32 cars that we had in there, we ended up losing four. Uh, and I say four, Cam and his team could have restored those four, but the cost of that restoration, Jason, as you would appreciate, versus the diminished value just did not make sense. And I have to say here, uh, and I, I'm not paid to do this, uh, Haggerty was terrific as our insurer. Uh, they couldn't have been better. Uh, and today, uh, other than the four cars that were deemed a total loss, I'm pleased to share with your audience that all the others that were damaged, some of them weren't damaged at all, uh, but the words the ones that were have all been restored and repaired. And, and uh, we count our blessings. Two people lost their lives that day, Jason, 
And so uh, I learned a long time ago that the most important things in life are not our things, but rather our health, our family, and our friends. And so we oh. count our blessings. And in fact, Bob, you, you said afterwards that the whole experience brought you even closer together as a family. It did. It was a bit of a reevaluation of what are my goals? What am I willing to do? Yep. And, um, and then you also had, I mean, first of all, you described that as the saddest day of your family's yeah. lives, yeah. But, but you had an enormous, um, an, an enormously positive um, uh, end result, which was the Porsche 356B Carrera GTL Abarth. Yes. Well, we had, uh, uh, we had been accepted uh, to bring that car to Pebble Beach, which is, you know, is in August. And uh, here we are in April. And uh, the car was damaged. Fortunately, it was surface damage. No, no real, no real uh, uh, body damage other than the paint. Uh, but it needed to be fully restored at that point. And I turned to Cam that day and I said, Cam, uh, what do you think? Is it possible? And he said, Dad, honestly, I don't know. Well, credit to Cam and the Road Scholars team. They literally spent night and day for the next four months. 16-hour days to rebuild yeah. the car from scratch. They rebuild the car. And we did take it to Pebble Beach. And we were very fortunate to win our class. And uh, mm. that was, uh, again, a very emotional day as we, as you know, at Pebble Beach, they, they select three cars from each class. They pull you up and then you don't know whether you're first, second or third until they point to third, first, second, second, and then finally first. And when we were, when they pointed to one of our great competitors as second, uh, this, this old guy had tears in his eyes mm. and, uh, it was a it was a great day, and you said absolutely typical of Porsche. It comes absolutely. from the brand. You don't yep. ever give up. Well, you still have nope. a chance. That's right, and we've seen that from Porsche over the years uh, at Le Mans, at mm -hmm. Daytona. Uh, they may not again be running first at the start of the race, but generally speaking, they're there at the end of the race. All right, so we have a Porsche guy here, so we got to ask some Porsche questions. Sure. Should the air-cooled versus water-cooled debate even be a thing, Bob? Great question. Uh, I think it probably always will be, uh, Jason. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I respect history, but I know that uh, science, and in this case, engineering, always moves on. And uh, I think it's remarkable that Porsche had the extended run of success both on the track and in the showroom with air-cooled technology as long as they did. I mean, 50 years, think about it, from 48 to 98. Uh, 40 years, I guess. Uh, no, 50, that's right, 50. Mm -hmm. And now with the water-cooled technology, they're able obviously to take that performance to yet another level. And now they're moving into hybrid and electricity. Uh, as we see with the Taycan, and certainly the 918 was the first hybrid supercar. Uh, along with the La Ferrari and the, and the P1, but uh, uh, I admire both. Uh, I know many of my Porsche friends say, I'm going to only have an air-cooled Porsche, and I respect that. I <laughs> love I love the 356s and, and, and the early 911s, uh, but I also admire, I, I mean, the, these new cars, and at my age, Jason, it's a lot more fun for me to drive an old car relatively fast than these brand new ones relatively slow because they're <laughs> they're so capable as you know more g-forces in the yeah. icon turbo s than on the saturn 5 rocket I absolutely <laughs> absolutely we 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 took our 918 to vir uh, one day and we had as our guest that day among others mark weber and uh, as you know mark weber an f1 champion he had ordered his 918, but didn't have it yet. And he had never seen VIR. And uh, he asked me if he could drive our 918. I said, absolutely. He said, well, I'll only do it if you ride with me. So I got in the car. We neither one had a helmet on. <laughs> uh, that That's cause for a question of judgment. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we he was probably, given his talent, maybe at five-tenths of his skill level, but I have to say, uh, we did four laps, and 
those last two laps for me, Jason, were underwear laps because uh, <laughs> <laughs> the right side of my brain said he's not going to wreck my car. But the left side of my brain a couple of times said, holy, holy cow. Uh, but it was a it was a great day. And uh, again, a reminder that to your point, that technology, in this case, hybrid, uh, as well as water cooled, uh, uh, had produced a truly phenomenal supercar. There's an essence that winds its way from the Gmund to the 935. Right. Does that thread exist in a Taycan? I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I've driven a Taycan. I don't, have, I don't own one. Uh, the acceleration is mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, I just miss the sound, uh, Jason. I love Me too. All, all Porsche owners know that Porsches have a unique sound, whether they that's be air cooled. That's what got yeah. you hooked in 1971. Exactly. exactly. That, 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 that mechanical sound, uh, I just love it. And, uh, we kid, uh, we have a, we have a dog and, and we, uh, we, we swear that dog can tell when it's a Porsche coming in the driveway because of the, <laughs> because of the unique sound. But, uh, the Taycan is a tremendous success. Uh, I mean, uh, from a commercial standpoint and, uh, to Porsche's credit, they recognize that, you know, uh, we're going to move in that direction. I hope, and I've learned not to use words always and never. But I, I hope that there will always be, at least in my lifetime, a 911 that is powered by a gasoline motor. Uh, 911s are their signature brand. Uh, we know that today you can buy a, not only a Taycan, but you can buy a hybrid Cayenne. You can buy a hybrid Panamera. You're soon, I think, the Macan's going to be all either hybrid or electric. But I'm hopeful that the 911, at least in my lifetime, will remain you know, powered by a gasoline engine. Bob, I speak for a generation of Porsche owners who would say, thank you for getting into that car in 1971. Coincidentally, the year that I was born. Wow. And, <laughs> and keep keeping on as well, it relates to the Porsche heritage. Jason, this has been a pleasure and a privilege to be on your show and to share uh, our mutual passion for this wonderful brand. But thank you for uh, doing what you do to make our hobby uh, what it is for all of us. And that's uh, an enjoyable experience that we share. Thank you, Bob. My privilege. Thank you. Thanks to Porsche collector Bob Ingram. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road. Court TV is now on Sirius XM. Hear live gavel-to-gavel coverage, in-depth legal reporting, and expert analysis of the nation's most important and compelling trials, historic live oral arguments from the United States Supreme Court, and relive the trial of the century with OJ25, with new episodes every Sunday night, as well as your favorite Court TV mystery shows, like The First 48, Corrupt Crimes, and Forensic Files. Court TV, your front row seat to justice, online at Channel 793.